0: Hey y'all, it's time to take a brew break. I'm Keela from Keela D Subcreation sharing my favorite stories 11 points at a time. You can look forward to English major insights, fangirl freakouts, and biblical tidbits as I dive deep into fiction and nonfiction stories in any form. Now grab a brew and join me for 11z's. Hello 11Z's, we are back. We went on a little bit of a break, but we're still here. We're doing things. And today I have an awesome guest I'm so excited to chat with, Scott Savage. So, what's up?
1: Hey, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, I am a listener and so it's fun to be able to be a guest and I'm excited for this conversation.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, we actually got connected through Sketchy Sermons, our what a my great last friend. guest we had here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You have actually been drawn by him, so that's very cool.
1: I do. I can see it. It's right over here. If I would have thought I would have brought it. But yeah, I've got his his work of me framed. and then uh, oh
0: you have to. you have to Paul
1: Paul did my friend Trey's book cover, and as a part of it, they gave out these stickers. So I have, like Paul's sticker. Oh, wow. yeah. so my friend that Trey Van- cool. my friend Trey Van Camp uh, has a book called The Non- Anxious Pastor. And so the middle part of the logo is this. Um, let's see if we get it in my it's, yeah. it's this like really cool. And it's got tons of it's 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 one of those amazing little art pieces that like the longer you stare at it, the more you find.
0: The more you um, find, yeah.
1: And so um, so anyway, like Paul did this original artwork for the cover and they sent oh, out I these stickers. That. So so I've got it right here. So
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I know if I were ever like drawn by him that would be my my cool flex at parties i would just tell everyone
1: <laughs> yes i'll
0: carry it in my pocket that's mm-hmm. so cool all right well i'm glad that we got connected and i'm excited to learn more about you today so first things first what is your 11z's beverage that you brought
1: okay well i brought a dragon fruit herbal iced tea with a splash of lemonade
0: that
1: sounds amazing, so um oh my so, goodness. yeah. i I have a little bit of a story there. so like i I used to be a caffeine addict. Mm-hmm. So in yes. college and early grad school, it wasn't uncommon for me to do like twelve shots of espresso a day. Oh uh,
0: my gosh, <laughs>
1: wow which is which is like pushing a thousand milligrams of caffeine. so yeah, for sure I. I've come way down. And then uh last year I had some health stuff and I had to give up coffee permanently. So oh, I've had Oh my to, gosh,
0: my heart. I've had
1: to oh, oh yeah. Yeah. But luckily I had given up coffee for Lent a couple of times. So like I knew I could do 45 days. For sure. So I said to myself, Scott, you've done this for 45 days. You probably could do this, and it is really for your health. And yeah. so I shifted. And so I do matcha and I do tea and i found one energy drink that can give me enough juice and not mess me up but, nice, um, but nice. yeah i have i have definitely dived into the teas so uh i grabbed this at, at dinner and it's uh it's delicious a little bit of sweetness um a little bit of sour with the lemonade and um yeah it's been it's been good to sip on so far so
0: oh that sounds great i don't think i've ever had dragon fruit tea but i'm here for it i'm here for all the fun tea flavors and,
1: and what do you have for this interview
0: I have a Topo Chico.
1: Oh, Topo Chico.
0: Yep. You know, going classic. Add a little bit of lime just to spruce it up, get crazy, you know.
1: (laughs) Have you, now they have some flavored waters. What is your thought on the, like, adding your own flavor versus them adding the flavor? Do you think there's a difference? Do you have a preference?
0: I think there's a difference. I feel like. If I add it myself, it feels more subtle, whereas if it comes with the flavor, it's like kind of in your face. Mm -hmm. So for lime, especially, I would rather just add lime. But if it was something I think they have a grapefruit flavor or any other like fruity flavor, they can add it. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that being in my face. But lime, I feel like it needs to just be, you know, subtle.
1: I agree. I agree. I was I was late to the to the to the topo party, but I was I was somewhere having tacos and they had those and I had one and I was like, how have I not been having these with my tacos right. for my whole life?
0: Topo and tacos go together perfectly. Yeah. I did not become obsessed until we had my sister's wedding in my parents' backyard. And so we kind of like we threw the party and So when we had a bunch of Topo for the wedding, there was a bunch left over. We were just handing them out to family members. And so we ended up taking home a case. And I was like, where has this been all Mm -hmm. my life?" Yeah. So here for it. Here for it. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into it. So number two is the big question. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your story.
1: So I am a pastor and a writer. And neither one of those were on my radar for a career. I grew up as the son of a pastor. My dad's been at the same church for 41 years. So he's a a very rare instance. Mm -hmm. But when I was 14 years old, he had a stalker. And for 18 months, this woman made our life miserable. She called our house three times a day she sent him bizarre, creepy letters. She oh would sit gosh. in her she would sit in her car in the parking lot and watch us walk to our car. I mean, it was it it wasn't Law and Order, but it was like on its way to it. Yeah, you know, Law and, Law and Order, Dateliney. And so, like that whole period. Oh, and by the way, her name was Joy. So that word was just like permanently like.
0: Oh gosh.
1: I, I didn't preach a sermon on joy till like two or three years ago because I had so oh, much I baggage.
0: Bet. Oh wow.
1: So long story short, I, I was fourteen or fifteen years old, and I was like, "I don't want this life. If this mm-hmm. is what this life brings you, I don't want it. on my family to have it." And so I just said, literally at fifteen, I said to somebody, "It'll be a cold day in hell when I'm a pastor." Ah. So you know, a spoiler, you know, hell is very cold. Yes, and, yes. <laughs> and and it and it was several years of just a an a, an unrolling of all of that, and um, that's a whole nother story. Um, But then when I was in high school, uh, I was in US history class one day and my teacher was like, Mr. Savage, will you please stay after class? And I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. What did I do? Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, oh, Scott's in trouble. And I stayed after class. And he said, so the reason that there was no curve on the last test was because of you. You killed the curve. And I was like, oh man, my friends are going to hate me. (laughs) And, and, And he said, uh, you write really, really well. You got a perfect score on the essay for the wow. test. And he said, has anybody ever encouraged you to consider writing? Like, I don't know what you're going to study when you're in college. I was a junior. Said, I'm not sure what, you're, what you want to major in or we're going to college. He said, but I really think you have the potential to be a great writer. And so those two, those two kind of events and journeys kind of launched my life. And so
0: for wow. the last seven.
1: For the last 17 years, I've been serving churches in a variety of roles. The last seven years, I've been a lead pastor of the church I'm at currently. And starting in college, I started blogging. I had my first published article my senior year of college, and I've been blogging ever since. And I've had the, you know, through always not seeking any of them, uh, I've had the privilege of partnering with four really cool organizations to write um, Our Daily Bread, Relevant Magazine, air one radio and now the Uversion version Bible app and I'm working on my first book right now so that's a little bit oh my of, gosh a little bit of my my story and my journey
0: that is so exciting I love that so you kind of got in like I guess you started your career with being a pastor and a writer like simultaneously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really cool that's really yeah cool.
1: It, it, it wasn't really I mean it wasn't a financially viable side hustle as a writer. And for me, it really is pastor writer. So there is a, there is an order to it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, but it wasn't until, you know, a few years ago that I was, you know, actually recovering the cost that I was putting into my website and my email and other things I was doing. For sure. But yeah, I've been, I've been writing in some form or capacity for probably 15 or 18 years and dealing with all the insecurities that come with that and all the Mm self-doubt and resistance and mm -hmm. That's, that's why, that's why I'm almost 40 and I'm just finally like doing the book thing. Yeah. But it's been, but it's been, but it's been cool to, to just kind of hold those two pieces of, of myself and my calling together and, and pursue both. And they've led to some really fun opportunities and some chance to, because of the internet reach a lot of people that I never would have, if I was just serving my local church.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's so great, which leads me perfectly into my next question. So what have you found is the difference between like, writing in your different venues, kind of larger audiences, more maybe digital audiences than uh, preaching to your home church?
1: Well, you know, starting off, I I got the opportunity at a really young age to start preaching and preaching is one of those things that you can only get better at if you do it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things you can do where you can study other people and you can come up with your philosophies, but like eventually you just have to get reps you just have to, you know, you have, it's, you have to, you have to preach bad sermons. If you're a writer, you have to write bad words. You know, you just have to, you know, just slodge through it. And so typically what happens with uh, a lot of pastors in a different era was you had to go and do like the Wednesday night service or the Sunday night service or the youth thing. Well, now, because everything is streamed and it's all online, there's a much higher threshold of pressure. So mm-hmm. I started preaching, you know, in my early twenties before there was YouTube, Facebook was just available to college students. And so oh. I got to give, I got to give like 200 sermons that were just on a podcast, 1.0 audio podcast. And then somebody decided that they were going to delete our server. So all of those are gone. Oh, um,
0: that is so heartbreaking.
1: It's not heartbreaking because they were terrible sermons. They were so, so <laughs> okay, bad. I guess that's true like my first my first sermon that was on that was on that server was 55 minutes long it was oh. it was oh it was so long it was so bad and so i got a chance in obscurity to figure out my voice to find out sure. how, to, how to be a good a good speaker and I just I feel like I got a privilege that like was like a different world because mm. now my friends who are starting like instantly you have to be on a podcast instantly you have to have a live stream instantly you have to be on YouTube and you're competing with people quote unquote like you're compared to people that have way more experience they found their voice they they have all this history that you don't and and you're like expected to be as good as them. And there's just no way you're going to, you're going to do that. And so I, I spent a lot of time as a, a young, you know, pastor going through that process. And in that process, I discovered there was a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about and write about that didn't fit what that community of people needed or what we were doing. And so I kept trying to figure out like, how do I serve them, but kind of also do what I wanted to do. And eventually it just became too self-serving. So like, this mm-hmm. is... I need to do what's right for this place and for these people. And if there's things that I want to talk about or I can't get, then I need to find another platform to do it. And so yeah. my writing became a chance to explore topics, to show sides of me that that weren't, you know, germane or appropriate to that environment. And as a result, I just, you know, found different partners, different platforms, different places to go, hey, it's not the church's job to give me a platform to talk about everything I want. That, that That's very self-indulgent. I need to go find other places that help me to explore that. And so that's kind of how that process started and And because of the era we live in, you know, I get an opportunity to connect with people like yourself mm-hmm. and and talk talk to people like our listeners who don't live where I live and a hundred years ago would never have been able to engage with what i do and And if I can help them, if I can serve them if if something that's happened to me or that I've learned is a resource to to them, that's cool,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's good. I love that. Yeah, I've often thought about growing up, kind of in an age pre-social media, has some of its downfalls. I'm like, oh, I don't know if y'all ever did D Now weekends. None oh, of yeah. our D Now, yeah, none of our D Now videos I can ever watch again. They don't exist on the internet, and I am so sad about that. But also, it's probably a good thing that all of the stupid videos me and my friends made are also not on the yes. internet. Yes.
1: Yes, because now what happens when you get hired for a job is people just Google you. But like you give them a res you give them a resume, but they Google you. They they pull mm-hmm. up, they pull up that social media platform. They look for you, and I've had friends who've you know in interviews they somebody goes, "Hey, I'm going to pull up this article you wrote eight years ago," and then they have to like defend it or speak to it or whatever. Like if I had to do that with some videos that I did when I was a freshman in college and 18 and really Mm. stupid or some sermons I gave when I was 20 and I was very unfiltered and I should have, I should have had the processes I have now to give people a chance to give me input before I say things that are stupid. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I would have this job that I have right now, you know, because I just, you know, I was 18 and 18, you say things that at 38 or 39, you go, I wouldn't say it that way now.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Do you feel like you got to do that with your writing as well, or do you feel like your writing kind of
1: was out there? No, I I I do I do feel that because I've I've had I think this is my fourth or fifth website that I have now. So I had a Mm, blog mm -hmm. in the early two thousands. I had a blog spot. Yeah, you know, I wrote long posts on my MySpace page, and you know, and both of those are are. They're probably in the internet archive somewhere, but they're, they're long gone. And then I had, and then I had a wordpress.com that I let go and it it probably still searchable, but you'd have to work really hard to get there. So I feel like I got to write hundreds and hundreds because I used to write three times a week. So I, I, so I've written a lot of, a lot of things to find my voice, to find what works. And I've, I've gotten a lot faster now, so I can write, you know, what used to take me, you know, days now takes hours and yeah, and i good. found my voice and and figured out you know, i'm not the best writer in the world but i i write in a way that's that's true to who i am and i think that that authenticity is really important
0: for sure i love that uh another side question sorry so did you go to school did you go to seminary did you do any writing classes
1: no no i didn't do any writing classes i mean i wish i would have taken mr lawfer's you know advice more seriously I ended up going to college and I majored in biblical and theological studies. Mm-hmm. And then I did a, I did a minor in business because my dad was a pastor and he's like, there's a bunch of stuff you're going to need to know that that's they don't true. teach you in seminary. And so yeah. I did a, a, accounting classes and management classes that have been so helpful because that's, you know, if you if you can't balance a budget and, you know, manage the revenue versus the expenses, it doesn't matter how good you preach. You're not going to have a chance in church. And, and then, and and then I went to seminary and, and my seminary was a really great experience. You know, there's some of the people are still mentors and friends today, but, but I feel like that I was, I was learning some of that communication from people who were better communicating at a pre-internet, kind of pre-2000 world than this world. And so a lot of what I've had to learn has been self-taught books, paying for courses, Mm -hmm. finding people online, and then just a lot of a lot of trial and error. You know, every, the, one of the, one of the quotes I heard early was you start out as an echo, uh, mm-hmm. when you're a communicator and then hopefully eventually you become a unique voice. So in the beginning, if you yeah. went listen to my sermons, you would go, Oh, I can tell who this guy is listening to his favorite podcasts. For sure. And so, and so eventually I, I just started fasting from those voices and going, Hey, I'm going to work real hard to go. How do I, how do I become, you know, who is uniquely Scott? And then hopefully out of that, I'll I'll, I'll find my way and I'll, I'll still draw on those voices. They taught me things, but I don't want to just be a copy of them. I want to find my own unique you know, kind of amalgamation.
0: For sure. I love that. I love that. All right. So next question. You've experienced and written about hard times like church hurt, burnout, or what you call wilderness seasons. So do you want to speak a little bit to that and why you think... God allows us to go through adversity like this.
1: So yeah. So that's a that's a large question. I'll start with the will I'll start with the wilderness and work back. And please feel free to interrupt me because I could talk about this for days. For sure. I I believe that wilderness is it's either a place that you end up, because we often think of wilderness as you're driving through a literal wilderness. Like mm-hmm. the bad, like like the badlands in the Dakotas. That's a literal mm-hmm. wilderness. So wilderness mm-hmm. is either a place that you end up, or it's a set of circumstances you go through that leaves you feeling disoriented, mm-hmm. that uh, introduces a, a discomfort uh, or challenge that ultimately changes and transforms you. So what I have found is that most people, when they talk about their lives, they talk about these seasons, so those circumstances or places they went through that were super hard, they ended up super disoriented, they were stretched, they were challenged, and they say, you know, I'd never want to go through that again, but that made me who I am today. And, And so i see those as kind of a common pattern i i this summer read a study that said that the average person goes through a personal crisis every 18 months and One of those crises, five of those crises in life become like a major life crisis, like a Mm. a life altering one. So I think wilderness is that place set of circumstances where those things happen. And I think we end up there again and again in our lives. Mm. It isn't a one time thing, it happens multiple times. Sometimes your wilderness is your choice. You made some choices that put you there. Sometimes it's other people's choices that put you there. And sometimes uh, I'm not God, so I don't see clearly, but it seems like God is either allowing or orchestrating something.
0: Yeah. And
1: and those seasons, though, we would never choose them ourselves. And a lot of times we would never wish them uh, on anybody. I was in the phone with a friend tonight and his boss is going through the process of um, trying to get his wife kind of last end of life care. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I would never wish that on anybody, you know, but, but those are the seasons that make us who we are. And Mm -hmm. when you, and when you, when somebody tells the story of their life, they often tell stories about those seasons, not the seasons where they got the big raise, the big promotion, took the huge vacation moved into the brand new house. And so I, I like, I like to say that, um, it is adversity that changes us. It is wilderness that changes us. And so, if you're in that place, God doesn't waste it, and you certainly so sh- you certainly shouldn't waste it either. So that's that's kind of the intro. And if you have any follow up questions, I can go anywhere from that.
0: For sure. No, I love that. I think that's that's really good. And so, we should be seeing these as like opportunities for growth and to grow in our relationship with Christ as well.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a personal example. Cause I think a lot of times if you're listening to this and you're in the wilderness, you're like, this guy is full of it. Like I, this is not an opportunity. Get me out of here. Like this for is sure. terrible like yeah. when you're in the middle of it. And you, when you're in the middle of it, it, it's, it's hard to hear someone like me say this. And it's certainly hard to get that perspective. I, I moved here seven years ago to become a leader, the leader of this church. And my first, I would say week for sure, several weeks was nightly panic attacks. I I could not sleep. Um, I could not get my heart to slow down. Uh, I would typically fall asleep about four o'clock in the morning because I was just completely exhausted, sleep for two or three hours and go to work. Uh, I was staying with a friend the first week and I literally got in his car because I I just couldn't sleep. I said, well, I might as well just drive around this town I'm going to live in. And so I remember pulling up. I don't even know what intersection I was at. It was 4.20 in the morning. I, I stopped under the stoplight and I'm like, what am I doing? how did i end up here like get me out of here i didn't even have the word panic attack cuz i didn't know what it was i just was like this feels like the worst feeling in the world yeah and and yet it was in that space that i began to have to start facing the the reality which was my body was beginning to finally process all of the stress and the grief and the toxic nature of the environment i'd been serving in for 10 years and mm-hmm. now, now that I had gotten out of it, um, I was dealing with the anxiety of finally being a lead pastor and and that was a burden I didn't expect. And, and I have found that sometimes when you get out of an unhealthy environment, you've been suppressing all this stuff in your body
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then, and then your body, when it finally gets into a safe place, it's like, it can let all that go. And so I think I had all this stuff just bottled up in me that finally, when I got out, it was like, okay, we can breathe again. And so that was all coming out and shakes and crazy heart rates and and all sorts of other fun experiences. And so I I can just tell you that like, I I would not want to go through that again. You know, I I like being able to sleep at night. I like being able to control my body from not having the shakes or not have a heart rate that I feel like is going to cause me a stroke. But it was in that season that I learned to be vulnerable with my team here. My very first meeting with my board, they were like, So hey Scott, how's it going? And I'm like, man, these are people that are looking at me for leadership. But if I'm really honest, I'm not doing well. And so I just yeah. asked them, I said, Well, do you really want to know? And they said, Yeah, we we wouldn't ask you if we didn't. I go, Well, I've had like, and I I, I didn't know I described it as a panic attack, but I described what was happening to me. And I expected them to, you know, judge me, reject me, give me Bible verses, because that's what happened in my mm-hmm. previous environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they they just said, it makes sense. I was like, what do you mean it makes sense? They go, you've stepped into a new role. You've moved to a new town. That can be really overwhelming. Uh, Can we pray for you? What do you need? And I was like, are you kidding me? It was not at all. So I had to learn in that environment, what it meant to trust people who are healthy, what it meant to pursue health, what it meant to be honest. So I learned all that, not from a ivory tower, ideal circumstance. I learned all those things from walking through a wilderness. So that's why I say as someone who's been in the wilderness, it sucks. It's hard. It's painful. It's brutal. You never want to go through it again, but it's, it's crazy. There are gifts in the wilderness and there are things that God Mm -hmm. does and teaches us there that we would never learn anywhere else.
0: Yeah, that's good. So what helped you get out of that wilderness?
1: I think some of it was deciding I wasn't going to run from the things I was running from. I think there was a line in Alice in Wonderland about the only way is through, yeah. and and so some of it was I had been running from all of this grief and you know all of this stress, and I you know I needed to go to counseling for years and finally went to therapy for the first time and started you know unpacking some of this stuff. I had was carrying a bunch of bitterness and unforgiveness around from people who had hurt me, and so I started I started actually doing some really hard work to let go of that. And that's what led to, a course I created an unforgiveness, and some of this is what's led to this book I'm writing on wilderness. But I, I will say this, we're not always in charge of ending up in the wilderness, and I'm not sure we're always in control of getting out of it. I think there are things we can do. Yeah. I think there are things that are in our power, but I think everybody has ended up in a hard season and they're like, I have no idea how I got here and I know I didn't choose this. So if on the front end, we can end up in the wilderness without it being our choice, I think it's a little bit arrogant to say, I can do things to get out of the wilderness. I do I do think that there are things we can do to make our wilderness longer. So if you look at the Bible, you have the story of the people of Israel And they're going from Egypt to the wilderness. And that that is like that should be like a one to two year trip. So they took a long break at Sinai, but it was a two-year trip. But as everybody knows, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I think God's plan was one to two years. They made some plans and they made some choices and they ended up there a lot longer. So for sure. I don't I don't think we have a choice of getting out of the wilderness. I do think sometimes we have a choice of how long we stay in the wilderness because of our own our own choices. And so we have limited agency. I'll just say that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. So you've alluded to maybe a toxic situation that you were in. Um, can you speak about the difference between forgiveness and trust when you're dealing with people who have hurt you?
1: Yeah, huge, huge difference. I, th- I think one of the biggest barriers people face, and this is, both inside of the church and outside of the church So I, I i don't assume that everybody who's listening to this is a person of faith the biggest obstacle i've found with people who struggle with forgiveness is a bad understanding of forgiveness and so in my experience i wrote an article for relevant when i first started working with them in 2017 it went viral and it was primarily around the lies that i had been told about forgiveness that kept me from forgiving people, and one of the biggest lies that I was told was forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust are all the same thing. And if you forgive somebody, you have to do all of it, mm. and and that's just not true. Yeah, that's just that's just not true functionally in the world, and it certainly is not true in the Bible. And so, what I the way I I state it is that forgiveness involves me. Reconciliation involves we, and trust takes time. Mm. So let me unpack that. So forgiveness involves me. You can forgive somebody and not tell them. You know, I've sat with a woman here a few years ago, and the person she needed to forgive was dead. Mm. And she's like, I'm holding on to bitterness and forgiveness, but I can't tell them I'll never be able to forgive them. And I'm like, yes, you can. Why do they need to know? forget forgiveness is, is setting yourself free because unforgiveness is really leaving you stuck. So if the person who is stuck is you, because you're not forgiving the person who will be freed is you, not them. So sure. if if you, if you can't tell them, then you can still forgive them, which means if there are people in your life today that you need to forgive, you don't have to tell them you forgave them, especially if they're the kind of person that is not trustworthy and if we had in reconciliation, is not doing the work that it requires to be reconciled. So forgiveness at its core is you deciding that the path of bitterness and unforgiveness is not a life-giving path. And me going after revenge is not a life-giving path. And at the end of the day, somebody is going to pay the price for what happened to you. You can keep trying to get a pound of flesh from them, or you can say, hey, I'm going to pay the price for what happened. And I'm going to forgive so that I can move on into freedom. And that's a me thing. However, there are some times where you go, hey, I want to reconcile with this person. And that becomes the we thing. So when you reconcile with somebody, both of you have to do work. Because I've yet to see a situation where somebody was hurt, where there isn't something that each person can own. Maybe it's I didn't respond in a great way. Um, I, I I held bitterness towards you. Um, I resented you, I hurt you back. And so if you're going to, if you're going to rebuild a new relationship, you're not going to go back to the old one. If you're going to rebuild a new relationship, it's going to take both of you. That's the we, uh, and that, and that's hard. And sometimes the person who was hurt wants to reconcile, but the person who did the hurt hasn't changed. And sometimes the person who did the hurt is really apologetic and repentant and has changed, but the person they hurt can't get over it and ever trust them again. And so, Mm -hmm. so it's, I mean, Mm -hmm. reconciliation is not something, even if you're choosing that you want it, you don't always get what you want. And, and then if you do say you do both want it and you both do the work, everybody knows trust is built really slowly and it's lost really quickly.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it takes years to open up to somebody. And it takes an instant that you're betrayed and hurt deeply. So if that's true, that trust takes time. And often what happens is the person who did the offending gets impatient. And they say, how come you can't trust me anymore? It's been so long. And they don't realize that in their mind, like they've done all the work on themselves and they're ready to start over. The person who's been hurt, maybe they're just starting or they're forgetting that how long it took to get to the place they were when the break happened in the relationship. And so I just say like, trust takes time. And so there's no guarantee that even if you did the work of forgiveness, that's a me. And even if the weed did the reconciliation, like it, it may never, it may never be the same and it may never happen. And so when somebody says you need to, you need to, you need you need to trust them again. You just need to forgive and forget. That is, uh, on on one side, it's really foolish. On another side, it is super ignorant and toxic. And so sure. i try I try really hard to help people do the first part, which they can control. And then and only then do we wade into the other stuff because that's not something you really can control yourself or make happen.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Yeah, because you don't want people to just keep re-entering toxic relationships just because they think they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. and that's a part of forgiveness Mm -hmm. yeah Mm yeah that's good that's good all right so what good and or bad things have you experienced from sharing your stories both uh at your home church and in all these other online venues
1: how much time do we have (laughs) Uh, i i would say that that tmi is real and there are right places and wrong places to be transparent and vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think about the first story that comes to mind is a couple of years ago, there's this pastor who gets input in a church. And for the sermon, he tells the story about how when he was a youth pastor, he did this thing that wasn't cool. And, you know, he had to leave this church. And, you know, it seems as he's like confessing things. He's being really transparent. Well, he gets done. And for some reason, the church like gives him this like standing ovation for being raw and real and honest. Well, the rest of the story is he wasn't telling the truth. And that podcast gets sent to the victim in the case. And she comes out and she's like, What he just said wasn't actually what happened, you know. And she tells the full story. And then he has to come back and go, Yeah, I did lie. And he resigns. You know? And and so. In the moment the people were were like applauding because in our in our world it was like, oh, he was real, he was honest, he told his truth. And like that was like the high water mark. But the actual high watermark was him being a integrous, upstanding, you know, pastor leader. And and so what ended up happening is people gave a standing ovation to an abuser, to mm-hmm. a liar because mm. because we so overvalued this perception of being honest and transparent yeah so so that story and that moment was was life-changing for me because it up to that point I had come out of a really unhealthy environment where it wasn't safe to be honest and I was the guy where I was like you know I need to be raw I need to be real people need to be able to trust me I need to be able to share and and I don't think that I was in TMI, but, but it was, it was too much of that value without other ones around it. For and sure. so I stepped back and I said, okay, like, yeah, I want to still be somebody who shares, shares my struggles. I want to be somebody who tells more stories where I'm the villain rather than the hero. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not like the center of attention in the story. Cause if I'm preaching, it's not ultimately about me. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm trying to serve my readers, it's about them and not me. But um it was a good like reset moment for me. So I I try to adopt the phrase I first read in one of Brene Brown's books where she says, share from your scars, not your scabs. Mm, so when I'm yeah. when I'm when I'm writing, when I'm posting on social media, when I am giving a sermon, I try my best to make sure that it is not like an immediate story. For sure. And if I do. Uh, I'm, I'm checking, okay, if I get criticism, what criticism am I going to get? And can I handle that? Because when I, when I shared one of those, you know, I just want to be raw and real. I told a villain story. I call them villain stories where you do the wrong thing. And I did the wrong thing. And somebody, you know, in the story I was telling called me out and I realized it. And I was like, man, that was really dumb. And, the, and it was about the value of ha- having people in your life who will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Well, mm-hmm. the very next day I get an email from somebody in the church and they're like, I heard that story yesterday in church and I was so gratified. And I was like, gratified. And I keep reading, and they go, cause that is totally what you are. And then they listed like six times where I had done that same thing. And it was just that like they were piling on, you know, and it was like, I was so glad I let you have it and you need to change that. And it was just like, they took the opportunity to pour salt in the open wound. Yeah. And, and and that was a scab because I realized afterwards, oh my gosh, this email so deeply hurt me. I actually wasn't ready to share that story because I hadn't done enough work to mm-hmm. be able to have it as a scar where if you scratched in that area, it wasn't gonna immediately tear off the scab and I'd be bleeding again. For sure. So that's easier said than done. I will a hundred percent admit. And I I yeah. practiced that imperfectly, but that is my that's my filter that I'm going to share from scars and my wife um, and others that are really important to me are not going to learn things in my sermons that they didn't know. I, I know a guy, he was preaching a sermon one day and literally said stuff and it was like fresh stuff. And his wife didn't know it. His board didn't know it. His close friends didn't know it. And I just was like, those are true things but that was the wrong environment and the wrong time, and so there is a, there is a corrective to our overshare culture, where Anthony, yeah. you turn on your camera, you record something confessional, and you hit post. There is a place where I think we need to pull back and go, "Hey, that's a, that's a good thing to say, but is this the right time? Is this the right place? And are these the right people?" And um, I don't practice that perfectly, but that's what I'm striving towards.
0: Yeah, that's good why do you think we feel the need to like share our struggles when there's still scabs as opposed to waiting other than our overshare culture i guess
1: um so i i i don't like to traffic in generalizations So I'm not sure I could, I could say there is one reason, some, some thoughts that come to mind about possibilities, certainly for myself. And I'll just speak for myself because I'm an expert on me. Mm -hmm. I think at times I want to believe that I'm further along than I actually am. Yeah. And so if I can get some validation in the moment, it makes me feel like I'm over something or I've moved past it. Mm. In, in our overshare culture, you do get a lot of, you do get a lot of validation when you're honest and real like that. And, and all of us are under encouraged. I mean, encouragement is a leaky bucket we all carry. And so we're always looking for somebody to encourage us. So if you share something that's like that and you get, whether it's, you know, something as superficial as a like, or it's a real comment from somebody on your page, or it's a real conversation from somebody in person, like that feels good. And so Mm -hmm. we want that feeling. And then I think sometimes, sometimes there are like deeper, more subtle, like you, you don't really know you're doing it for that reason, but you are. I think for me, sometimes I've done that, that I want people to think I'm better than I actually am. Mm. I want some people to, uh, to see me in a certain way. And so I, it's a way to position myself with that. And, and I think sometimes it's just, a, a it's actually a cry for help. Like I. I really am struggling. And so I'm sharing that, hoping that somebody is gonna come alongside and help me deal with or get to what I can't on my own. So it, I think we're really complex people. We've got lots of motivations. I just think there's so much reward for it now that it's, as much as everybody knows TMI and we've all seen TMI and we've probably all been TMI, there's still so much of a payoff for it that it's hard. Mm-hmm. it's hard to always avoid.
0: For sure. Yeah, that's good. That's good. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I would tell myself that by like sharing stories, you're joining a part of like a community and that you're sh- sharing uh, with others who might be in a similar situation. You're not alone. But I think part of it is I want to think that I'm okay enough to tell the story. Like, I'm on the other side. Now I get to tell the story, even if that might not be true. Yeah, that's really good. Things
1: to think great. about. Things to think great, about. Great, great questions so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is good. All right, so how does your own faith influence the work that you do? And vice versa, how has your work as a preacher and a writer impacted your faith?
1: Hmm. Well, I'm going to guess most of your audience doesn't share my profession. So most of them are not, you know, what some people would call professional Christians. So it it is not as naturally a connection of how does my faith and work connect? Mm-hmm. I, I am a big uh, hater on the elitism that I think some pastors carry about their work as if it's more important than any other work. And Mm -hmm. I, I try really hard from the pulpit to push back on the classism that sets, you know, missionaries and pastors at a different level than everybody else. I do not have more of the Holy Spirit. I do not have a closer relationship or connection to God than anybody else does. And, and while my work is different in, in the kingdom of God, it is not, it is not more important. It's just different. For so sure. as a re- so as a result, I think I want to try to help people in their life go, hey, if if there really isn't this this big hard wall between sacred and secular and anything I do can be work that's done for God, you know, the Colossians 3:23 whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And if Ephesians 2:10 is correct, and everybody is God's poema, his masterpiece, and the Greek it's literally the crowning work of an artist. So if everybody is God's best project he's ever done, and, and you are a work of art, but also an artist at work, that passage goes on to say, after you're a masterpiece, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So if we're all works of art, as Erwin McManus says, and artists at work, then everybody's work is spiritual, it's creative, and it's been planned by God from a long time ago. So that makes it all eternally important. It makes it all valuable. And so that means that whether I'm at home with my kids working on an algebra problem, if I'm here working on a sermon, if it's Sunday, I'm delivering a sermon or praying with somebody, if it's a Wednesday morning and I'm writing an article for an online publication, all of that is, is me being God's work of art doing the work I was created to do. And so it's an opportunity to glorify him, point people to him and do what I was made to do. So I see my work that way. And if somebody's listening and tomorrow they're working on an air conditioning unit or they're pulling shots of espresso or they're teaching kids in a school or they're showing up to a hospital to work a 12 hour shift, those are all environments to do the exact same kind of work that I'm doing here. It just looks different and it's got a different title and it's a different place and there's different challenges.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's good. Do you ever, like if you're preparing a sermon or writing something spiritual or theological, do you ever get in your head that like, this is work and you get out of like the faith realm or how do you like make sure you're still like staying and growing in your own faith rather than just grinding for work.
1: Yeah. I I I went through, I think I started experiencing burnout when I was in seminary. I I had a class my last year of seminary and it was a, a practicum class. You were all kind of serving in a local ministry context and you came to the class to like discuss what you were learning and get help with it. And I can remember sharing in there, like, guys, I'm really struggling. Like I, I don't feel close to God. If I'm honest, I don't have a desire to pray. The only time I open the Bible is for class and for working at church. And that's a lot. So it's like, I'm in the Bible all the time, but it's always for a grade or it's yeah. for my paycheck. And yeah. I said, I'm just, I'm just really struggling. And my classmates looked at me like I, like I had four heads. They're like, well, how, how, how could you like not be fed by your sermons? I'm like, I'm doing it for everybody else. I- it's not like for me. Mm-hmm. Well, you're reading the Bible for class. I said, dude, we get graded if we read enough of the old Testament that week. Like, how is that? Like, you know, for the right reasons, I'm just doing it so I can get the right grade. Yeah. And, and, and that was the beginning of a, a period of four years that culminated when I was in 28 with, with me going through burnout. And, and so I realized in that, place that, that so much of what I was doing was, it came out of a desire to perform, to perform for people, to feel some way about about myself and in some ways to like, get God to love me if I'm really Mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. And so for the very first time when I was 28, I feel like I really faced not on an intellectual level, but like on a soul level, like, does God really love me for who I am? or what mm-hmm. I do. And mm-hmm. it was the first time that I think I could really honestly say in that season, I really began to sense, no, God really loves me for who I am and he actually likes me. And, yeah. and so, and, and so I, I do, I do these things, but, but it's not so that God will love me. Cause I I've already got that. And so when I started really pressing into that in, in 2012 and 2013 on the other side of burnout, and as I was healing from that for about six or nine months, that's really where that began to press in. And so it's still, it's still a temptation to to do that. And I'm still capable of doing that. I, I know how to how to write a sermon in that way, but but I fundamentally know that that's not that's not how it works with God anymore. You know, he, yeah. he, he actually likes me and he loves me for who I am and I bring him joy. And, and so when I sit down to do my work, a lot of times now, at some point in the process, there's a moment where, you know, I can't do it on my own. I can't find some piece of it. It's too long. It's too short. It's missing something. And, and those are the moments that I, I, in my preparation, try really hard to press in and 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 collaborate with God on it and then when it comes to preaching that's the part that's probably the biggest growth for me in the recent years is I try to also lean into God when I'm preaching and not just really pray through my preparation but I I in the moment um I stopped preaching without notes this is becoming a long answer so I'll stop in a second but that's a... I I I stopped preaching without notes about five years ago and wow. and and part of what happened with that is I I was really good about praying in my preparation, but then preaching in my own strength and spirit. And and what happened when I stopped going off of my notes was I wasn't so worried about saying what I was prepared to say. Now, on average, like we do two services, they're typically like 10% different, um, sometimes more. And some of that's just because I'm not in my notes and I just say things differently. But sometimes it's like in the moment, I sense something happening in the room and I follow it. And yeah. sometimes those, those moments are me and my flesh. And sometimes I really believe they're God leading me to do that. And those are moments where I say things and people go, Hey, can you like, give me that in the lobby? Can you write that down for me? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. They go, well, you said They said this. And I said, A, I don't remember that B that wasn't in my notes. And I don't know where that came from. So you're gonna have to go watch the recording. Cause, cause I don't know and yeah. and those are those are really fun moments to be honest because sure. i'm like that that really helped you and i'm so glad to hear that thank you for telling me this is a huge honor but i i can't take any credit for it because you know that that was not something i had planned and i'm not sure it came from me so that yeah. that's that that's been some of the joy that when i'm having those moments i know i'm not just doing it for myself uh, i'm not just doing it for them that something's happening with my faith that I'm growing in the process.
0: Definitely. I love that. That's good. I also love how God doesn't only love us. He also likes us. That's just a cool thing.
1: Yeah. In, in, in Mark one, when Jesus comes out of the baptism in the new living translation, it says, this is my dearly loved son, dearly beloved son, and he brings me great joy. And like yeah. that to me is like, it's not just that God loves us. It's that like we bring him joy, like he delights in us, and I think a way to say mm-hmm. that is he likes us, like when we when we are who he created us to be, and we do stuff, he's like, yeah, that 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 that's what I made him to do, like I like that, yeah. and yeah. so mo- I I literally have that's that's one of the most controversial things I've said in a sermon. People have they they go they just ha- where where is that in the Bible that like, God likes us? Well, he he has to love us, but he doesn't. I'm like. And you got a bad image of a father, if you can't imagine a perfect father who likes you and you think, and you think that's unbiblical and you think that God just loves you because he has to exactly that, that, that's not a, that's, that's not a good father. Yeah. Uh, And typically when you press in, there are some reasons where that comes from in their story and they're just projecting that on the Bible and on God. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool.
0: All right, so do you have any practical tips, habits or routines that help you live or write a good story or preach yeah. a good story?
1: <laughs> well, I definitely I definitely think it's hard it's hard to write and preach a great story if you're not living one.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: So, so I have found that in those seasons where I'm having a really hard time whether with writing or preaching illustrations and stories from my own life, that I'm either not doing enough reflection, and I'm not self-aware enough, or B, I've stopped living a great story. And yeah. some of the best communicators who have these, you know, seemingly, you know, bottomless wells to draw from, it's because their their life they're living a great story. And so when they communicate, yeah. they have all this stuff to to draw from. And it isn't just cool trips they went on and stuff that happened to them. Sometimes it's just you know they're living life and the wheels fall off you know and and stuff happens but they're they're out there living and and so what i try what i try to do is say hey how do i make sure that i'm not just preaching and telling stories that are all 10 years old but mm-hmm. but how how fresh are my stories from real life experiences again if they're vulnerable they need to be long enough that it's a scab and not a scab but it's a scar but, but where are my stories coming from? And if they're all coming from college and I'm almost 40, okay, I probably need to live some, some, some better stories. But, but I, but I do think that, you know, when it comes to those creative things, writing and speaking, you're always working on material. You know, I'm sitting in a movie theater. I get an idea. I'm driving. I'm getting an idea. I'm reading I'm hiking. I'm on a trip. And so people will ask me, how long does a sermon take or an article take? And I go, well, I can tell you how long I was sitting typing, but but it took a lot longer than that because you know it's been in my head for six weeks. Or this book I've been writing—I mean, I feel like I've been writing it for 15 years, yeah. even though even though the words that are currently in my document are only from maybe the last year.
0: So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so as you're living your your life, you're getting these good stories. How practically are you? like paying attention and making note of things that you might want to use in a sermon or an article.
1: Um so I mean I've used I've used Evernote for a long time as my digital brain. I I don't I hate it now. It is not the app that it used to be. Um it yeah. is clunky, it doesn't work right, it costs way too much. Uh, but I have so much stuff there and I tried to migrate to notion this summer, but you can only migrate a certain number of notes at a time. And I have like, mm-hmm. I have like five or 6,000 notes and you can only, wow. you can only migrate like 150 at a time. And like, I don't have the patience to do this 40 times. Sure, so sure. I'm, sure. I'm, st- I'm still paying for, for Evernote. So mm-hmm. in general, like all my content goes in Evernote. I clip articles, I, send stories there that's what I've done historically but I'm also I there's that like thing on social media right now where you say how many unread text messages you have if you've seen that people do that I I have zero unread text like I I but but I save pictures so um on my phone right now I'm opening up my my photos app right now
0: Mm -hmm.
1: okay are you ready for this I am so ready. 56,702 pictures.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So that I intentionally... Is... Wow. I intentionally buy a really big like memory phone just for the picture storage. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I do tend to take pictures of things. And so that is often how I will capture things is I will know, okay, I know this happened in this month. I typically can't remember months. So mm-hmm. I will just search... September of 2021 and then I'll search and find the picture. So so typically uh, it's 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 either evernote or it's or it's pictures that I'm using and and now sometimes I've even got to the place where I know I wrote about it somewhere and so I will google myself with like plus <laughs> something and then I will go find the story that I want to reuse. So I've I'm a really good googler, I can find stuff. And so That's between funny. Between Google, Evernote, and my photos, it's probably somewhere. Nice, nice. That's cool. I love it.
0: All right. Who else has a story that has impacted you who you might love to hear share their story on this podcast?
1: Mm. Well, my friend Trey is fascinating. Yes. So he's a, he's a pastor and a YouTuber. And I think he has a, a really fascinating story. Um. I I also think... My friend Elizabeth has a great story. So she's a therapist. She has a very small online presence, but she kind of like me ended up becoming a therapist and that was not in her line of work. She's not my therapist, but I have told her that if my therapist ever kicks me out or dies, she's like my backup therapist. So Mm, she, she has, she, several of my friends are her clients. And so over coffees and lunches, I get to hear about the work she does with them. And and so I think think people who are holding space for other people to make sense of what happens to them and who are helping them find healing in this world are just really special people. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of her work is a reflection of her story and what she's been through and the healing that she's found, she's helping other people find. And she's that kind of voice in their life. So those are two people off the top of my head that I would say: Trey Trey Van Camp and then Elizabeth Heinrich.
0: Great, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to get connected with them.
1: That'd be cool. I would love. I would love to introduce you to them.
0: Great. All right, what books, movies, or TV shows have inspired you personally, creatively, and spiritually?
1: Oh okay. So books, TV shows and movies are those the three categories yes okay so books i read uh i read the same five little books every year so i'm okay, a big reader i'm a big reader so i by the end of this year i'll have read 200 books over the last three years so i'm a i'm a big reader nice, but
0: nice. but
1: i but of those 200 um uh like five are the same every year so one of them is the war of art by stephen pressfield Mm-hmm. which i think anybody who does any sort of creative work should read often because he just nails the problem of resistance. For two sure. is a two is a book called The Dip by Seth Godin. Uh, it's a little book and it's about quitting and Seth makes the point that we in our culture label all quitters and all quitting as bad, but not all quitting is bad. Uh, it's quitting at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. That's bad. So it's a great okay. book. I read it every year because I think, I think we hold on to things far too long and we should probably quit things faster and more often. Uh, number okay. three is a book called In the Name of Jesus. Uh, it's a book by Henry Nowen. It was written in 1989 and it reads as if it was written today. He writes about the challenges that leaders face, especially Christian leaders. Um, Book number four is a book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Mm Self-Forgetfulness, and it's a book about humility, which I think is a virtue that is in short supply in our culture and we need more of. And then book number five, I'm just blanking on it, Dip, In the Name of Jesus, War of Art, I just blanked on it, but I'm a big fan of little books that have big impact. So all yeah. of those books, all of those books are deceptively small, but when you get into them, they're like ridiculously fun. Yeah. That's so those awesome. are those are those are. It doesn't matter if I have the, the fifth. I gave you way more than you asked for. for uh, sure, TV for sure. shows, TV shows. The West Wing is my favorite TV show of all time.
0: Nice, nice.
1: I've I've watched through it three times and i find it to be uh hopelessly idealistic but i do think there are some profound truths in that show and i just always find myself inspired to be a better leader be a better person um to listen more uh just i think some important qualities in life and then and then movies uh, my favorite movie up until i was 18 was the sandlot i got playing baseball mm-hmm. and so i nice. think there's There's a part of me that's kind of a hopeless nostalgic. That's why I have so many photos on my phone is I have some nostalgia. For sure. Uh, For sure. I also this summer, I'll just do a fresh one. The the movie The Flash came out this summer. Mm. And I went to it by myself, which is kind of a new thing for me. I'm an extrovert, but I'm learning to enjoy solo movies. Sure. and i went i went to see the flash and i was not expecting it to hit me so hard and so i won't spoil the 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 you know the punchline cuz it's still relatively new mm-hmm. but in in the movie the main character has to wrestle with this event that happened in his life it was terrible and tragic and he is wrestling with his power to try to go back and undo that event and mm-hmm. this summer when i was on sabbatical i realized just how much in my life i was running from grief And I, in watching that movie was a part of my growing awareness that I needed to start facing the things that had actually happened. And I was, I was carrying all these ungrieved losses. And so I could either keep raging at them. I could keep running from them. I could keep trying to change them or I could face them and grieve them and work through them and then move beyond them. And so watching, watching the flash was a, was a part of that kind of epiphany and awareness. And so that movie had uh, a larger than expected impact on me. I, I'm not saying it's like the best oh. movie ever made, but it was, it, it sure. hit me really hard.
0: That's cool. I love that. Okay. Two comments. One, do you know writer Jordan Rainer?
1: Uh, you know, I, I have just discovered him through some mutual friends and I'm hoping to be on his podcast at some point. He's amazing.
0: Oh, he is amazing. He's also my boss. So.
1: Really? yeah could so you make an introduction for me
0: i totally could i totally yeah could. I,
1: I i he listened he did this podcast that is my favorite podcast of the year so far he did a podcast with a janitor
0: yes so good
1: and if you struggle with thinking about how you can connect your faith and your work don't go read a book by a pastor don't listen to me go listen to Jordan Rainer's podcast with the janitor because that like that changed my life. That was my favorite podcast of this whole year.
0: Oh, for sure. It was so good. I was going to say when you were talking about your work as a pastor, Jordan talks about that all the time about how like, not that like your work's not important, but like all of our work as Christians is important. And so I think you would really uh, relate to that. Also he's a huge fan of the West wing and talks about it all the time. So
1: it it it, <laughs> it also helps that I'm married. This has not come up yet, but I'm married to a lawyer, mm. uh, and so we're the odd combination. I'm a pastor; she's a prosecutor, and <laughs> I love it. So so I have learned so much about the world through her eyes for sure. Uh, and I feel like I'm a much less idealistic and naive pastor because of it. And Definitely. I get to see the impact she has on people every day and the value of her work and. So I have to, I need to give, I should have given her props earlier. A huge part of how I see the world when it comes to faith and work is because of my wife.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, second comment. Um, You mentioned you were an extrovert. Do you find that you struggle with the writing process as an extrovert? Because writing tends to be like a solo kind of isolated activity? Uh. Uh.
1: So Uh. I would, I want to say that I don't. Mm -hmm. But I will be I will be staying up late tonight to write an article that I should have written earlier today, but I spent the time I should have been writing with people. So I think Mm. I do. I think I do struggle with it. I have learned that those are not pure categories, extrovert and introvert. There's a range. Some people people talk about extroverted introverts and introverted extroverts. So if that is true. I would say i'm I'm more on the introverted extrovert side I'm discovering. So mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. that does that does help me with the writing a little For bit. Sure. But I do have to be disciplined with either real or artificial deadlines to get my writing done. Otherwise, I will find either distractions or fun people to hang out with and not do my writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel that. I feel that I never realized it was such a an uncommon thing or like a paradox until very recently i just started seeing all all the time that like writers tend to be introverts and writing is such an introverted thing and i was like is that is that why i struggle so much with well, actually and, sitting down to write is that and, part and of it
1: I, I would hazard the guess that most if you're a christian most of the pastors that you know that are quote-unquote famous or celebrities they're all introverts Interesting.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. M- m- and
1: and some of them are like profound introverts. Yeah. So so I think the, I think the good news is if you are an introvert, you can have a very public work and impact and yeah. it doesn't you know, I think Susan Cain's writing on introverts is is incredible and I think she has done a great job to expose the way our culture undervalues introverts and is in the same way that if you were a left-hander growing up, you had a terrible time as a kid in school because all the desks were right-handed. Um, yeah. you know, we live in a right-handers world and an extroverted world. And if you are an introvert, you have it harder, but your introversion does not prohibit you from doing anything. And you can yeah. find a way, even if it's standing on a stage or sitting behind a microphone, Um, you just got to figure out how to do it your way. That's different than an extrovert.
0: Yeah, that's good. I love that. All right. Is there anything that you want to add or reiterate from what we talked about today?
1: Well, I, I want to say you have an amazing show. It's a great format. It's super engaging. Okay. So I know these 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 questions and this forum didn't just come out of nowhere. So I, I want to say thank you for that. Uh, two, it's been a great conversation. I've, I'm yeah. on a lot of podcasts in this season and this has been an awesome conversation. And then three, if any of your listeners uh, feel like from what I shared, I could help them, I would love to do that. So my online home is scottsavagelive.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Scott Savage Live. And I have a resource on Wilderness that you can find in the U Version Bible app. You just search for Scott Savage or Scott Scott Wilderness and you'll find it. And if I can help you with anywhere or anything on this, you know, um that podcast has piqued your interest, just reach out to me. On one of those channels I'd love to connect.
0: Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you came on. It was a great conversation.
1: Well, I still have some tea left, so cheers and have a great night. Oh, for
0: night. sure. Yes, you too.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining me for 11Zs. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review, subscribe, tune in each Thursday and tell your friends. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at KDSubCreations and check out my blog and other free content at the link in the description. Now go where you must go and hope.